This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Still on cloud nine after the 2017 Smoke'em If You Got Him fundraiser that took place last weekend as we sit to record this week's show. And Perkins Row at Ben 77 Bistro featuring Taya Kyle, who was in town with the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. That's who we gave the money to this year. And I just have to say I am so proud of the people who were there, who came out in spite of the inclement weather that we dealt with. I mean, it just kind of was what it was. And we did have a backup plan for the rain but we didn't employ it. We weren't, you know, we really weren't sure how it was going to play out. And it didn't really matter. I mean, I've got pictures that you guys are going to see. We're going to be posting this week on our social media platforms. So you can get a, a view of what was going on out there that day at Ben 77. It was great. We raised a bunch of money. We're still getting all of the totals together now. It looks like I can, I can say with pretty good confidence that at the at minimum we doubled what we did last year in terms of cash raised and we'll see how further along than that we went uh, where can i begin man oh the atmosphere was so amazing the food inter uh, insurance procurement services brian bennett and his company with what they did at the grill station you want to talk about some happy people they just enjoyed that I mean, nothing was left. Uh, Chris's apron, the patriotic pastry station. She outdid herself yet again. Didn't leave with anything. <laughs> she got wiped out pretty good. We were talking about it yesterday. People were looking forward to it, even in the rain, slamming back desserts and treats by Chris and DiCarlo. They did a fantastic job. Thank you both. Don Juan Cigar Company. Justine and Robert, and they had a, a rep from Republic there as well with the Euroa cigar that was the featured stogie at this year's Smoke'em again for the second year. We did a different uh, version of it, and it went over well. I mean, it was, it was just fantastic. Wow, Prestige Authentics that uh, provided the auction items for me. I was able to go through a list and choose some things that I wanted there. We did very well. On the auction, Dennis Landry, our auctioneer, who crushed it. No doubt about it. Crushed it. It was just, it was unbelievable. He he was filmed. I'm surprised he hadn't ended up all over social media for the job he did in auctioning off the items. He was just amazing. Uh, let's see, who else was out there? Kurt, my man Kurt, who was... The the Kirk, rather, who was the musician out there, Kirk Holder, who played for us at Smoke'em until he finally had to stop because of the weather. It was unbelievable, the rain that was going on. And my entire team, Carla, Orlanda, Kelly, Sash, James, everybody who was out there who helped pull this thing off, really the only hitch we had was the weather. Can't do anything about that, so you don't worry about that. And it was amazing. Bobby D'Angelo and having those flags out there. My family at the Capital Area Law Enforcement Foundation. Pat Inglade, Leo Verde, uh, the widows of the officers who were assassinated both last year. And Becky Anderson, the wife of Sean Anderson, who was taken earlier this year. She was there as well. And they presented Taya Kyle 
with a gift on behalf of the Capital Area Law Enforcement Foundation. Don Sanders and my friends at Orion Instruments, who they were the title sponsor again this year for Smoke'em, and he's already talking about next year. Geico Insurance and all that Geico did helping us out out there. Geico was amazing, and we appreciate them coming along. Perkins Rowe, Brian Dykes, and his team at Ben 77 for doing such a great job. Kelly and Jeff LaDuff and you know, Open Eyes Security and Training uh, Consultants. And you know, they were there in, in major fashion. And Jeff spoke and had Taya nearly in tears. Uh, the Sheriff Sid Gotro was there. The District Attorney Hiller Moore was there. Hiller actually received something special uh, from Bobby D'Angelo for being out there. And I'm going to talk with him about that a little bit when we get him online here in just a second. And I got more about that. I hadn't told you that he was going to be the guest. But yes, he is our guest on this week's show. Man, who am I leaving out? Guarantee Media. And they were out there, our media partners this year. Matt Williams from WAFB-TV was our MC for the event. Matt was great. Matt gets up at like 1.30 in the morning. So him being out there at 7 o'clock is like you or I being out hosting some event like at 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> you know, So he was great being out there and helping us out with everything. I mean, it was really good. My buddy Steve Atkins, Steve showed up with me early on Sunday to help with the setup and was there all day long. I mean, what a what a great great thing to have friends like that. I appreciate you, bud. Thank you so much for what you did to help us out this year at Smokem. And then if I forgot anybody else, please forgive me. There was just so much and I'm still on fumes. You know, I didn't realize it until Monday that with everything going on Sunday, with all of this great food and everything going on, I didn't eat anything all day Sunday. Not a, not anything. That's a shame. I'll make I'll be sure to do something about that next year. But anyway, if you missed this year's Smokem, you missed one hell of a party. And it was a great time had by all and I am personally thankful uh, for everyone who attended, for everyone who was a sponsor, who assisted us in making this thing possible. This was not by virtue of the efforts of one person. This is the outcome of a great team effort. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now, our guest on this week's edition of The Clay Young Show is the EBR, East Baton Rouge, for those of you not in Louisiana, District Attorney Hiller Moore who was just recently in Cuba. He was in Cuba at the detention center at Guantanamo Bay. And he is going to take us inside of Gitmo. We're going to talk about what happens in the courtroom. I'm going to ask him about the specter of torture that hangs over Guantanamo Bay. I'm also going to talk with him about this move by some to get these cases of these terrorists moved to America. And what role does politics play in some of this, both politics from the left and the right? What role does it play in what's happening at Guantanamo Bay? It is your opportunity to go behind the walls of maybe the most controversial detention center on the planet, Guantanamo Bay's detention center. And we will talk with District Attorney Hiller Moore about that Next. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. 
This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. And now, today's Manners Minute. We've been working on respecting our homes this week. Just a few more suggestions. How about a secret handshake or gesture that says, I love you? When I was growing up, we made the hand sign for the number two to say, I love you too, when one of us drove away. During family meals, take turns sharing a high and a low moment from the day. Start a family story that never ends. One person starts a story and the next person adds to it. Keep it going night after night and day after day. Your home isn't just a place where folks of different ages live together. It's a place where families do life together. You can build an institution that cannot be destroyed, that protects those living there and fortifies them to go out and change the world. Choose respect as the cornerstone for your home. Visit hashtag BRRespect at mannersoftheheart.org to join the movement and sign the pledge with respect, Baton Rouge thrives. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Back with District Attorney Hiller Moore for East Baton Rouge Parish, who is recently back from Cuba, uh, and he was there on official business. So, Mr. District Attorney, how are you, my friend? Doing great, Clay. Uh, glad to see you again, and uh, appreciate all your help again. Well, uh, raising the money at the Chris Kyle man. Foundation. That was awesome. Well, let's talk about that really quickly before we get into the, your trip to Cuba. You were there with us this past Sunday. I was just talking about that. And, uh, man, for the weather we had, and it rained the back end of the program, but people, we had a lot of people there, and everybody seemed to be having a good time. Unbelievable. And everyone knew that it was going to be a, a bad night weather-wise, but, boy, it surely turned out to be a good night for military and law enforcement people particularly because of your uh, dedication and push and to make this thing grow within, what, two years to where it's grown and the money that you guys have made for people that put their lives in the line so that we can do what we're doing today and I can fly to Cuba to be part of that. So it's, uh, I appreciate it. Well, it was it was a great night. Wasn't Taya Kyle impressive, man? Yeah, it's just unbelievable for a lady to be able to stay there. A lady who's just, as she told you, she was a, she's, a, she's an ordinary person doing extraordinary things and that's how that's what we call on our law enforcement and uh, military folks to do and but this is a lady as you can imagine just years ago was a regular housewife yeah and uh now if you hear her articulate uh things and facts and you know it's it's just unbelievable and then, and then the emotional part that she's had to go through as a military wife and a husband that has the critical job that he had and how just the job tears a family apart and just some really little things like maybe a weekend or going to a movie is all that they really need to see each other. It's just amazing to hear the stuff that they go through that, you know, we, we think they, we know that what they go through, but we really don't until you hear it from her. Absolutely. And the DA was one of the officials there who received a little something special from Bobby D'Angelo yeah. there, uh, a custom framed American flag. I know you didn't know what was coming, but I told you I needed you to be there because we had something for yeah. you. <laughs> you did. And uh, uh, that's, a, that's an awesome flag, that what he does and how many flags that he's donated and the money that uh, what he does, what it generates for others. And then 
just for me to have that flag that hopefully put it in the front lobby of the district attorney's office. Uh, that's a you know, proud moment to put that in there there for me, particularly on the night that uh, received it and uh, having Mrs. Kyle there. Uh, it's just uh, it's awesome. Man, I, I say it all the time, Hiller, that we have a really good town with with really good people, and we don't spend enough time talking about the good folks in this city. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, um, Clay, traveling around the country like I've had the opportunity to do in, just in the job, people from outside of Louisiana, I'm sorry, Baton Rouge, recognize Baton Rouge more than Baton Rouge recognizes itself for right. all of the really good things that are going on, despite you know, we're here, we're on the ground here, we see the bad things, but, uh, and I don't think we recognize the good things and we have a ton of them here to, uh, to be recognized. Well, let's talk a little bit about the trip to Cuba. Now you were at the detention center at Guantanamo Bay for something. Is that correct? That's right. That's, uh, that's where the military commission, uh, that is the military court. That's where they're holding all of the hearings on the nine eleven uh, five defendants. So it's at Guantanamo Bay, uh, you know, Gitmo, and uh, there now there were thousands of prisoners there when it first started in 2002, 2001, right after the 9/11 attacks, uh, where we were picking up uh, enemy combatants and people from all over the Europe, and there was really nowhere to house these folks that were being picked up to be detained, and that's when they were brought to uh, Guantanamo and they were put in the initial uh, cage-like looking uh, devices that they had, and then eventually has expanded to bigger, more secure uh, compounds that they hold them in. And right now, as of when I went last week, they were down to 41 uh, prisoners. Uh, I think when President Bush was there, the number was at 500, and it was reduced down to 230 by some acts that he did. And then I think President Obama got it down further. And so we're at 41. I think two of those are maybe serving time for a conviction. Others are being held. Some are being held indefinitely and you know the big ones that that were there that's the uh uss coal bombing uh yeah nashiri and then there's another uh bombing i'm just drawing a blank on it and then the five defendants from 9-11 i think it was i think it was the the bombing in kenya wasn't it yes that's sure yeah yeah so so um those are the three main cases that they have three separate military judges that are hearing, having hearings in those cases and are uh, hopefully proceeding toward a trial. So you, were you there to participate in, what was the program, I should ask, that so, you were participating in? So the, uh, the government has set up through uh, a, a law, law school, they've set up what's called an NGO, a non-government observer. They, they want people to come in and to observe the proceedings and to report back to their uh, jurisdictions, their communities, and the country, what they saw, what they observed, uh, just so that to be an observer, to, to be the eyes and the ears for the country. And the National District Attorneys Association has a standing spot uh, on these trips. They take around eight per trip. And so the uh, National DA's Association uh, asked uh, people that were interested in going. So, you know, everyone submitted their names and and I was uh, fortunate to be elected to go on this this trip uh, for these hearings last last week. And and what was some of the information that you can talk about that was shared there? Well, it's a this is a once in a lifetime experience. Although I hope to maybe get selected to go back again. 
because uh, I've learned so much, I've read so much, uh, and the sights, the sounds, and observations are, it would take us a long time. But the, the main legal proceedings that were going on involved whether these people were tortured or whether the techniques that were used were enhanced interrogation techniques, uh, whether these people have a right to uh, Miranda warnings, right to a speedy trial, right to a regular jury versus a military jury. Uh, they were arguing over conflicts between the defendant and his legal team, where one of the defendants wanted to fire his entire legal team. Uh, there was one lawyer that was a part of a legal team that was uh, that quit and then has sued the, the remainder of the legal team for certain things. That matters under seal now. Uh, there were a lot of... Uh, we, we were excluded from many parts of the hearings that were completely classified. And so we cannot hear uh, what's going on in the court on classified hearings. Uh, what's kind of odd, like a star chamber, is that the judge sits where a judge would normally sit in a courtroom. However, unlike a regular courtroom, on his right side sits a court security officer that has his finger on a button, and that button will interrupt the proceedings and red lights go off if he believes, or anyone else listening from the CIA or the FBI that have their own feeds, if they believe that something is classified that just wow. was said by any one of the parties, <laughs> wow. that the light goes off. And so we're, we're, we're sitting as observers. We're sitting with victims' families' representatives, military representatives, and we're sitting in the audience, and we're uh, behind uh, bulletproof proof glass, uh, three separate sections of bulletproof class uh we're on a 40 second time delay just in case that were to happen that he would have that officer would have hit the button prior to us hearing uh anything that was said uh so that was quite uh interesting uh to see that set up and to hear the whole procedure that's in place security was unbelievable uh inside the courtroom uh the security officers that work they uh guantanamo bay has not only navy but marine air force and coast guard all of those different agencies work together at the prison camp. And in, inside, in the courtroom for security, there are 20 military officers that shift every 10 minutes. And these guys wear no name tags. It just says internal security. Uh, you know, you cannot ever identify them. Uh, some have sunglasses on, some do not. Uh, also learned that one of the defendants complained that a female Marine guard put her hands on him in the transfer from, I guess, his cell to the court or the vehicle to the court, and women were, are not allowed to touch him because of religious reasons. Wow. That was a big uh, fiasco. And so now you'll see females, if they're in the court and have anything to do with the prisoner, they're required to wear gloves. Uh, so that so they wait a minute, so it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't that she just touched him is that she touched him with her bare hands. Oh, uh, correct. Interesting. Yes. And females aren't allowed to <laughs> wow. do that. Um, the other, which kind of, kind of upset me a little bit with this part, doesn't, but the, they, they're there when they come to court, they wear their battle gear. Um, you mean the, so, pr the prisoner, I, the prisoners do the prisoners. Yeah. So they dress in their traditional dress. Yeah. Uh, as they would, if they were in their country. Yes. But they also, uh, there's a different color that they wear uh, for what's considered, I think, battle gear. Uh, and I think what, what they said is that when, the, when they had the trials at Nuremberg, that 
the combatants that were being tried, they wore their Nazi uniforms. And that these people, since this is similar in military court, thought to be able to wear the same clothes that they would wear. And they're proud to wear that. Uh, you know, as you know, they've yeah. confessed and taken credit for things they've done and said they'd do it again. Uh, now the defense lawyers are saying that that was coerced testimony, so that can't be used against them. Uh, the other part that, you know, kind of set me a little bit, I, maybe I, as a lawyer I would possibly understand, but the females that work for the defense team, whether they're linguists, lawyers, or paralegals, and these are non-military people that are working there, they also wear uh, the defendant's traditional gear that they would have worn in their own country. I, to me, I think that's a little far. Wow. Uh and uh, these are people that are uh, hardworking defense lawyers. The defense team is uh, unbelievably talented. Each one has a military uh, lawyer. But in addition to the military lawyers, since this is a death penalty case, each one is, hi- uh, is able to hire what's called a learned counsel. It's someone that's practiced in death penalty cases. And it turned out that I knew most of the defense lawyers on the other side from just you know, being in the business so long. And the the teams that these guys that the government has really amassed form and through the help of ACLU, they it's just an outstanding, talented group of people. Um, and likewise, on the on the government side, the uh, the military general General Martins is uh, is just so bright, uh, and you know, to hear him articulate things is just unbelievable. Uh, so you have a ton of talent that's in this courtroom. Um, it's, a, it's just, like I said, it's a good experience, and I uh, hope to be able to write about it and, and continue to talk about it and uh, and read the reading that went into this just to get familiar with all of these people, and it was really eye-opening to me. When you mentioned earlier about the, the layout of the courtroom and, you know, the bulletproof glass and all of that, were there any stories of violence and some of these people getting hysterical during the middle of a court proceeding? That, Actually, uh, from what I understand, uh, for the most part, uh, uh, there has been no such action like that at all. Uh, they have had some at the uh, cells themselves, but none, none in court. Now, from time on time to time, one of the defendants, and I'm drawing a blank on the name, but he apparently has historically blurted things out and said things instead of letting his lawyer talk. And I've, I saw that once or twice. But other than that, they sat there. They, uh, they're given their own laptop computer with Windows 7. Uh, they're able to take their laptop back with all the documents on it. Uh, and they are, you know, when they're in court, uh, you could see them uh, talking to each other, uh, sometimes look like they're joking or whatever they're talking about, uh, conversing with their legal team. All of them, with the exception of one, speaks uh, complete fluent English, and that one surely can discuss anything in English, but not quite as fluid as the others. Uh, so these are folks that understand uh, what's going on in court. But uh, And oftentimes they uh, they have exited the court and said to the judge that I don't want to be here anymore today. Please send me back to my cell. And the judge generally allows that. And their claim is that they're not able to sit particularly two of the five are not able to sit for long periods of time. In fact, these two are sitting on uh, cushions. The claim is that they were, uh, when they were interrogated initially by the CIA, that they were rect- rectally hydrated uh, during some uh, 
starvation strike and that based on their treatment that they're not able to sit and it's caused them a protracted pain. And they, now one of their motions are they want to not come to court and they want the government to install a audio and video feed into their prison cell and install a telephone so that they won't have to be transferred back and forth and they can sit and watch the proceedings if they want to. And if they have a question, they would call their lawyer on a phone uh, while he's in court, which is, I'm not sure how that would ever work out. That'd be really uh, problematic in, in my eyes. But so all kind of things uh, these guys are, are given the best team they can have. Uh, government's represented by top lawyers. It's just a very long process. As you know, now it's uh, 16 years and we still are probably two years away from a trial. Uh, the, doc, the amount of documents that have been amassed and given are just kind of unwieldy. Uh, a lot of the documents have been classified and then have been unclassified. And you, you see a lot of those that are blacked out. So, um, yeah, they're still in the middle of discovery. I've been exchanging 60,000 pages of stuff at a time. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot of information. You know, the, the average American, when they hear about Guantanamo Bay, it's always controversial. And there was a big push a few years ago to close it because of what the imaging imagery of it was and how it impacted the way others viewed America. After having been there, for the rest of us who have not and likely will not ever see it, tell us what it is like. I mean, uh, Guantanamo Bay is a beautiful place. Uh, you know, the just uh, arriving there and walking around and the people that we meet military folks are just unbelievable people. Uh, it's a place that I would, if I had a son or daughter in the military, I'd like for them to be at that base. Uh, we do not get to see, uh, the, the cells where these people are. They're off limits for us to look at. They're off limits for photographs. We had to be real cautious of what we took pictures of, because if you were facing the wrong direction and you were to take a picture Somebody would be coming down off of a tower somewhere very quickly to say, let me see your phone. Uh, so it, the security is extremely tight. There's a lot of intelligence that goes on from that base. Um, most people I talked to thought that these people were either dead or have already been convicted and serving their time when, in fact, you know, they're two years away. Uh, there been, there has been a push to close it down. There's also now a big push by the lawyers and uh, some congressmen to move the trial to an Article III uh, court that is just a regular federal court in the Southern District of New York where they were previously indicted. But in the efforts of Congress to try to shut down the base, uh, what they did was they had some provision that defendants are not allowed, these defendants are not allowed to be brought into the United States. So now they are, because of that provision, uh, they're stuck on Guantanamo Bay, and that's at this point where the trial is going to be. And the lawyers are arguing that the United States, first of all, has no jurisdiction over these people. Uh, and secondly, that if we do, uh, this should be tried before a regular jury, not a jury of military people. And it should be done in a regular courtroom and not in a military court. You know, there's arguments on both sides for this. Uh, what do you think I, about I what think do you What do you think about I, that? What do you think about that? I, I think I don't, the court I here is, is, I think, these people are, are given much more attention and many more rights than the Nuremberg trials. Yeah. Those were tried within six months. Right. And 
you know, the, the, we're talking about wartime, uh, wartime issues. The, the defense claim is that this was not a war. The war didn't start until 9-11. So there was no active ongoing war. And these people do not belong to a country. They don't belong to an active military like Nazis were of uh, the German army. And so they're claiming that this is not a war crime. Since if it's not a war crime, then it should be tried as just a regular terrorist act. They're trying to get around the death penalty. They don't want the death penalty, obviously. And without the death penalty, this case moves on much, much quicker. Uh, but right now, that's you know that's where we are. I think they're in the right court based on uh, what they did, what they alleged they have done. Uh, but it is an argument. It's going to be appealed forever. Yeah. And, you know, the bottom line, I think, uh, is that in this case, for these defendants, if they were found, let's say they were found not guilty, just take that as the, which I don't think that can happen based on the facts. They still would never be released and never, never be released to go anywhere. And I think they would die at the prison where they are hmm. because they will always be considered uh, a combatant and a, a terrorist threat. So some question why they're even going through with a trial. Some say that the government really doesn't want to go through the trial because to do so would expose some tactics that the CIA used that were not lawful. And that's a whole other discussion well, as to uh, what uh, the CIA uh, actually did. Yeah. I'd like to ask about that, and I know that there are limits about on what you can say about that, and, and I, I completely understand. But as you know, one of the big questions about Guantanamo Bay being here has been the accusation of mistreatment of detainees there and outright torture right. and what's gone on there. Kind of speak right. to that a little bit, if you can, for us. So so they were, when these people were initially arrested, or you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, they were taken to what the so-called black sites like Cobalt. Uh, they gave it different names like that. They were taken to those sites, and my understanding uh, from reading things is that they were interrogated uh, by CIA officers uh, in Europe at these different sites, uh, Pakistan, Poland, and that's where some of the significant allegations of torture came. They eventually get brought to Guantanamo Bay, where CIA continued to uh, speak with them, and then the CIA eventually uh, hooks up with two psychologists that uh, formulate this uh, enhanced interrogation technique, which includes waterboarding and they call walling. And they they claim the two psychologists claim that uh, the president and the Department of Justice and members of Congress, including Diane Feinstein, that they are well aware of what they planned on doing and how they planned on interrogating these folks, and they agreed to the interrogation techniques. And these two uh, psychologists working as contract workers for the uh, government claimed that due, due to their techniques that they were able to stop several other attacks and learn much, much more information. To the contrary, that there are many folks like Human Rights First, some uh, retired generals and uh, military folks saying that torture yields zero and that torture or interrogation techniques in this matter yielded zero as well. And there's a Senate uh, intelligence report from 2014 that makes that claim. Well, uh, which, so, which is true? You know, which, which, which one of those accusations well, are I wish, true? I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you because I just don't know. I've read, I've read the books. I've read the articles on both sides. And they both claim what they claim. And they're just completely different. And I think anything that you read or listen to in this case you're going to find someone that says, no, that's not true. This is, that, that could, the complete opposite is true. So, 
So, Clay, I, I don't know. Um, you know, with the Senate report that claims that they did torture him and it was ineffective, uh, the book by the actual guy who did it claims that it was effectual. And in that report, I'm told that the CIA uh, didn't even, weren't even uh, questioned about anything, but the report was just issued. It's a 6,000-page report, and I think only 500 pages of that 6,000 have been released because it's classified, classified, and I don't think it's going to be released for like another 12 years or so. Let, let me ask so, you. Let me ask you that without drawing a conclusion one way or the other. I mean, being not only an academic in terms of law, but someone who practices it on behalf of the people. I have always been concerned about politics getting involved in in law in no the way the system works. No matter which side the political spectrum is, I just think it muddies the water. And so much of Guant- Guantanamo and so much that has come out of there has been sifted through the prism of politics. So you don't know how much you're getting is true. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, um, that is a fair statement because everything is dictated by who's pushing what report. And, you know, uh, what their conclusions are based on what information they receive. So absolutely, politics plays a really big part uh, in how these proceedings go and how they have gone uh, over the years. This last round of uh, the trial work has been going since 2009. And as you can tell, with me just going last week, still in the middle of motions. And they're in the thousands of motions. Like motion number 1,000 will will probably have like uh, motion A. 1,000 A, E, all the way to Z, uh, just by additional motions to that original motion 1,000. And it's really tough to follow in court because they do not use the name of the motion, like a motion to quash due to whatever. They refer to motion 560A. Uh, Really, really hard to follow and difficult to find things, even on the website, the military website that has these documents. And oftentimes it takes a long time for them to put the document up, it has to be scrubbed uh, by uh, CIA and court officials for, you know, uh, uh, sensitive uh, information. And uh, also the thing that takes a long time is for this judge to make a ruling. Uh, five defendants, uh, five lawyers each. Government has all their lawyers and all these thousands of motions, and there's one judge. And he has to make written ru- rulings and findings on all of these extremely complicated uh, discussions. I mean, the discussions that we had on law of war and jurisdiction went back to, you know, civil war and, I mean, quoting all kinds of things that were just historically kind of fascinating for a lawyer to listen to. But, man, they're going back to Geneva Convention 1 through 4, uh, just really old historical things looking for little gems that they could use for each other's side for jurisdiction and whether this is a war crime or not a war crime. So a final question here, when you look back on the entirety of the trip, what are some things that you took from there that you can bring back here and add to not only what you do, but what your team does? I don't think I want to, I don't think I want to take anything back (laughs) uh, from there. Uh, But you know, this is what, this is what I've came away with that we live in the best country in the world. And regardless of what you think about these, these trials and these proceedings, we are bending over backwards to get these defendants who have killed a lot of people. And I know that's alleged at this point, but, but the facts are what they are. We are giving them the best defense they can have. We're giving them the best treatment, uh, at least now that they can have. And 
these are people who have killed our own people on our own soil and taken down national monuments uh, that we have made. And they, when they get out, they will tell you they will come back and kill again. And America's evil. And but we are we are protecting those people who would literally get out again and kill us all, including their own lawyers. But you know, America does have to do things the right way because we are leaders. Uh, some disagree. We're doing it the right, right way here. Uh, I think that the acts they committed were acts of war, and uh, whether it's legally declared or not, or they're in a formal army or not, I don't think that they should have the same rights that a citizen has or one of our own soldiers has uh, that's fighting in a similar situation. But So proud of the country for doing things the right way. Uh, would surely wish for the victims that this would be sped up. I had the fortune of just meeting the family of the first initial officer who responded to the Twin Towers. She was a female uh, NYPD officer. Wow. I met her, her daughter, was two years old at the time. She's 18 right now, and her husband. Uh, she was the first one to respond. She died. Um, I met victims' families uh, that were in both of the towers, one in the Pentagon, and these guys are just, they want some closure. And they, uh, they're they getting ready to their age, and their parents, they're 70, 80 years old. They want a conclusion. I just hope that we're able to give them some closure and peacefulness so uh, they can get on with their lives. Man, such a fascinating conversation and great information. Hillary, I appreciate you sharing with us what that was like. Absolutely. And I'm sure and, and, and I want to talk more about it and uh, in the future. But, yeah. man, just fascinating. Let, let me know when and we'll do it again, my friend. I have uh, four legal uh, notepads full of uh, <laughs> information and things. There's just unbelievable amount of stuff. Well, when you're ready to get into it, let me know and we'll break it down. I think people, this is insight that the average person doesn't get. So hearing you talk about Absolutely. it gives people perspective on something that has been in the news ongoing now for you know nearly 17 years. Yeah, it's an event that you know, you'll remember the rest of your life where you were when you saw that happen. Yep. Like I remember Kennedy being assassinated. Yep. It's, uh, it's one of those things that stick, sticks with you. Well, thank you, my friend. We appreciate the time. Thank you, Clark. Have a good day. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop Do-It-Yourself Pest Control. You know, John, people are often wondering where to go if they want to find out about killing ants, termites, spiders, mosquitoes, what have you, and it's a concern, and you end up in the big box store waiting for an answer, and really the answer is, go to a pest stop location and ask any question. That's exactly right. If, if you're tired of the mystery all of pesticides, mm -hmm. come see us, because we'll give you exactly what you're looking for, not only you know what to use, but how to use it. That seems to be the big question. Absolutely. How do I use a professional strength product safely around my kids and my pets? And it's very easy to accomplish. And you save money in the Ooh, process. A lot. So if I'm in the New Orleans area and I want to get my hands on the product, how can I find Pest Stop? 
Well, in Metairie, we're located at 3512 Severn Avenue next to the Pepper Mill. On the North Shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. That's next to Sherwin-Williams or Villarie's Florist. And on the West Bank, we're on the Palco just past the Harvey Bridge. And, of course, in the Baton Rouge area at 806 O'Neill Lane Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. So fascinating, the information we got from District Attorney Killer Moore. Man. And he said, you, you heard him say he took all of those notes. I believe it. And I, I look forward to hearing more about it. And the thing with the one a female guard who caused a stir because she touched one of the prisoners with her bare hand. Really? And he's right. We really are bending over backwards to respect the rights of these people, many of whom, you know, you can attach a, you can attach alleged to lots of crimes that happen. But these are people who are proudly claiming responsibility for what they're doing. And uh, he, as he has said, have said, if they get out, they're going to do more of it. They want to kill more Americans. So it's it's a controversial subject. And I think no matter where you sit on this thing, you have to agree that Hiller gave really a clear picture of what's going on over there. And we just we barely scratched the surface. So I'm looking forward to getting him back and talking more with him about it. Again, thank you guys for those of you who attended Smoke'em. Look out on Facebook and Twitter in the coming days for pictures from this year's event. And I'm looking forward to next year because this year was so great. And there are some changes coming next year logistically that we've already been talking about that are going to be great and some prizes and things that we're going to look to do next year, things we learned from from this past year that we will employ in next year's event. But thank you so much. Listen, throw me a subscribe on Twitter at Clay Young BR. You can subscribe to the show there on Facebook backslash Clay Young. Click us uh, there. Give us a like for the show. Share it with your friends and people who want to know about what's happening in and around Louisiana and outside of Louisiana as well. Just, hey, spread the word about what's happening here on podcast225.com. It is, again, my honor to be with you wherever you are, in your car, working in your lawn, in your office, living room, wherever. Thank you for subscribing to this show, and I'll catch you next week on The Clay Young Show here on the one and only podcast, 225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.